Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of Say Who, Say Pod. Uh, we're, we're coming to you on another Thursday after a Washington victory. The Washington Huskies are 1-0 to start the season after playing a team that they should beat, which was not the case last year. Uh, Danny O'Neill, uh, who's with me, I'm Christian Capel. I cover Washington uh, for The Athletic. Uh, Danny did not have to go into full-on sad mode on a, a, a New York City subway platform this year as he did last year after learning that Montana had beaten his beloved Huskies. So uh, I, I'd say it was a, an okay start to the year in comparison, yeah? Yeah, it was really good. It, the offense was functional. Like It, it looked it – looked, they, they actually got the ball to the best player on the team repeatedly. Like Roma Dunze got some opportunities. Like he looked good. What – Penix threw to nine different players, got four touchdown passes. Yeah, it was a functional college offense. I'm, I'm not so sure about the run defense, Christian. <laughs> that was not that that was that was not reassuring. But that's also sort of picking at nits because I felt when the game started, there was very firmly the possibility that this would be an epic loss and and reveal just how bare the cupboard was. And instead, it was a demonstration that no, there's some talent here. Was this? I mean, could could Penix have been any more impressive to you? I mean, no, just... he looked. No, he looked about as good as he could. I, I, that, that's a that's a good point. There's not much more you could have asked for that from that offense or from the quarterback. I'm not sure. I was expecting. I mean, I, I, he clearly won the quarterback competition. I thought he'd be an upgrade for them. Obviously, we've seen him do do some things at Indiana in 2019 and 2020 uh, that were pretty impressive. So it's not like I didn't think he had the potential, but I don't know that I was expecting him to be that pinpoint accurate, making really, really good throws downfield, throwing with anticipation. I'd say he looked totally comfortable and poised, but man, he was, he was hardly touched. You know, he was, I think they pressured him. I think PFF had Kent state with like four hurries or something five hurries and he was like three of four throwing the ball on those with a, a scramble for a first down. So um, yeah, hardly, hardly got moved off his spot, had a ton of time to throw. I think that was like the ultimate, the ultimate palate cleanser for Washington fans after last season. Like, okay. Yeah. They, they needed to see a, a functional offense, an offense, particularly throwing the ball downfield. That was going to give them some hope that that could be like, go from being a major weakness to a major strength for them. And I mean, they did everything they could to prove that that was going to be the case. Yeah, it was, it, 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 they showed that like, that's what Washington should do against a Kent state, right? Like Kent state's a good Mac program and Washington scored what on their first five possessions. Like that's, that's what, that's what Washington should do. And the, the most troubling thing about the loss to Montana last year wasn't, wasn't, I, I, I mean, the, the loss itself is, but it's how they lost, right? They, they couldn't push around a team that should be overmatched. Like that Washington was like, we're big and tough and we're going to play this style of football. And, and then they lost to a, a team from the, from, from a lesser division. This was okay. That's that, that's, that's how Washington should look like. They should have better playmakers. They should be stronger up front. And they were that that looked like what the 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 gap that you would expect between those two types of teams. I think there are flaws in Washington's team, like I said the run defense, but that was that was that was how Washington should have looked and there were a lot of things to get excited about. When people ask me about the team through camp, I I kind of been saying like, you know, if there's if there's one thing that concerns you a little bit, 
I don't know that they've got like those dudes defensively like they've always had. Like I think ZTF has potential to be one. Um, you know, they, Jordan Perryman, you're kind of expecting some some you know all conference caliber play from at corner. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that they've just got like a a whole slew of difference makers like they've they've typically had in the Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake era. And I think you kind of saw that, right? Like they gave up a big play for a touchdown where Michelle Powell got burned on a, you know, just in one on one coverage, got beat, quarterback made a great throw. Like you mentioned, the run defense wasn't super consistent. They didn't tackle very well. A PFF yeah. had him with 18 missed tackles. And I went and looked, and the only Pac 12, te- every Pac 12 team played this weekend. The only teams that had more missed tackles were Oregon against Georgia, and I think it was Utah against Florida, maybe. It was, yeah, Utah against Florida, and uh, and I think Oregon had twenty and Utah had nineteen. So I mean that you against Kent State, you're right up there in the conference for most missed tackles in a week. That's not great, and you know some of it is you could look maybe a little more glass half full and say like, well, some of those were missed sacks, like literally missed sacks mm-hmm. in the backfield, right, where they got pressure. They forced Colin Schley off his spot a little bit, but they couldn't bring him down. If you want to look on the bright side, maybe that's that's an opportunity for improvement where you look at it and say, well, they're they're not going to do that every time. Most of the time, you know, nine times out of ten, ZTF is going to bring the quarterback down, or Savelle Smalls is going to going to finish a sack instead of it, you know, dragging the guy and it just being a no gain type of thing. But um, I definitely thought the the tackling was a little bit lacking, and then yeah, like you're going to see this defense give up some big plays I think especially in the passing game like if you're going to be more aggressive if you're going to play guys closer to the line of scrimmage if you're going to rely on on cornerbacks to play man coverage or you know you're going to see some plays like that 47 yard touchdown is smalls bigger uh are are you are you asking yeah are you asking if he's bigger smalls (laughs) no but that's pretty good like as a as a as a firm advocate of the pun game that's that's very good I I thought he looked maybe ten to fifteen pounds bigger, but but I'm also not sure. Uh, he is listed at six three and two fifty nine. Last year he was listed at two fifty. So yeah, he's a he's a little bigger. He he does. It's a good point. Just kind of the eye test. He does look like he's bulked up a little bit. And I thought this was. I mean, I don't think it's even a debate. By far, his best game in college. Yeah, yeah, he 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 played really well. Like that was, and I've been hesitant to sort of either pass judge. I mean, I try not to. Well, no, all of the. I always say, this. I try not to give in to the recruiting expectations, but I inevitably do. So I've tried to be like more patient and not not asking like, hey, why why hasn't Smalls been better? Like I really thought, but that that was clearly his best game. I I, I thought he looked really good. Yeah, he graded out really well, had a couple hurries, was real close to having a sack. Um, he had uh, one metric I really like that PFF tracks is stops, which is basically just tackles on plays that constitute a failure for the offense. So it just like shows you how like how active you are in in, you know, keeping them from gaining yardage. I think four of his six tackles fit in that category. I don't think they gained more than five yards on any of the plays he was involved in. So you see, yeah, he was really active around the line of scrimmage, and um, it was he was one. I did sneak. I'll admit, before I watched the replay at my hotel, I did sneak a look at the at, at the box score and noticed him and thought, oh, okay, I'll have to keep an eye on Savelle Smalls. But I feel like I would have noticed him anyway. Uh, are you aware of my bias against PFF? 
I, I'm sure it's come up before. Here's yeah. uh, go ahead, and then I'll I'll say where I stand on PFF. So so first of all, it's pro football focus. Like, shouldn't they come up with a different name if they're going to apply the same same sort of measurement standards? You're saying the college? the offshoot should be CFF, maybe, or just something else, or like amateur the amateur division, like pro football focus on college football. Like, it's weird. It's just a weird branding thing. What about P P twelve FF? <laughs> I'd be okay with that. P twelve FF. Uh, the, the other part of it, so I think there are really important things that can be done with analytics. I, I think that, that statistics specifically, the, the part that can get challenging about pro football focus is that they're telling you their grades are based on what they believe the players are supposed to do in that situation, right? It's like a level of execution. And I've come around at the pro level where I think that. I, I I think they're more accurate th- than they were five years ago when I was really up in arms about it. But it maybe I've just come around to recognizing their expertise, like the other the other side of that. There are so many freaking college games that I don't trust that they have the same level of expertise of people evaluating this. Like I, I legitimately wonder how many of these are internet reporters who've never been in a in, in a coaching room because if you haven't worked as a coach and even if you have worked as a coach i'm not sure how qualified you are to diagnose what you think someone is doing and then grade it based on that like you might not know what it's possible you don't know what the assignment is so i get i get a i get very hesitant about extending that expertise to a venue where there's three times as many games without as much information in the college ranks i will fully grant that uh, because I think the grades are whatever. I look at, yeah, I look at them, and it, like I think offensive line is the one position, like because it's there's no quantifiable stat to measure how the O line played aside from maybe yeah. rushing performance. Where I, I'm a little curious, like okay, how do they think these guys perform? I I think the value in it is with the data and the you know snap counts and like I okay. said, you know yeah, measuring measuring the depth of of targets on on passes and you know, air who, yards. I, I don't see. I think they may, maybe they measure air yards. I, I don't think I've gotten quite a, that far down the rabbit hole yet. But uh, oh, air yards is when it gets fun, Christian. Yeah, yeah. Get you, really get really hopped up on you some love, air yards. You love the air yards. You're all about the air yards. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this as opposed thing, to ground yards. <laughs> one of my favorite things is when somebody will ask uh, a coach, and this is generally in the NFL, but it happens in college too. When someone will ask. Uh, a coach about those specifics and you will see just outright derision. Like Pete Carroll does it with air yards where he's like air yards, huh? <laughs> like and there's just, you see in his face, he's like, you think you're so smart, huh? Like I've spent the past 50 years of my life doing that. And I'll tell you what I don't think about is the stupid air yards. You're asking me like, I really, and, and that's not to say it's not a valid measurement because I actually think that there can be, sort of knowledge from people that are outside of the, the group think that happens in football. Like I, I, I think air yards is a valid measurement, but I still really love the outright derision that, that football coaches are capable of. Who wins in a fight between air yards guy and all 22 guy. <laughs> um, air yards guy wins because I actually trust the ability to objectively measure like that there's there's an actual like you can physically freeze the frame and determine how far the ball went and count like, the air yards 
Yeah, that's an actual measurable quantity. All 22 guy and and his ability to tell me whether they were in two man or cloud coverage or who the hook dropper was, like that will constantly amuse me because some of it is because I just don't have the courage in my own knowledge to assume that what I think is happening is what is actually happening. And maybe that's because I just lack the tes- testicular fortitude to like to, 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 to hang it out there. I'm like that. Hey, this is what it is. But I, I also believe that it's not because those dudes know more than me that they're willing to do that. Like that all 22 guy cracks me up. It, it really it, it's a it's a very, very funny subspecies of football media. Do you like watching um, Petros on the broadcast? I, I yes, I have. And I, this might come. I like find Pet- them entertaining. Yeah. Petros is 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 softies like like counterpart, right? Like mm-hmm. they're they're kind of the same dude. Like Petros is softy if softy could play college football. Like that's that's essentially what I think has happened. Um, and. So there was a point where, because I really didn't like Softy for a long time, <laughs> that I kind of disliked Petros by association, that's, that's which is hilarious. totally <laughs> it's, it's totally absurd. Like it has nothing they have nothing to do with each other, but it's true. Like, and that just shows you maybe how petty and short sighted I am. And and I now I I I do get along with Softy. I don't have hard feelings about him, and that mostly has to do with my own personal growth. And so I really. Like Petros now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but true. Hey, Softy, Petros had a great game last weekend. <laughs> good job, good job to the both of you. I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the Jack Westover mouthpiece uh, aside yes, during the broadcast. That was hilarious <laughs> when they were talking about. It. He's like, I want to know about this mouthpiece because I saw it happen too. Yeah, and Petros was. Petros was the one that observed. He goes, that mouthpiece wasn't even in his mouth. It was like t- tucked up against his face mask when it came out. He's like, he lost it again. He's just going to pick that thing back up. It's gross. And, and then he's like, they go put it in a tray and you've got your own. That's <laughs> like, that's that's quality insight. Like, I'd much prefer that to some of the crap we usually get. Great camera work, too. To zoom in and me, see that tiny little W logo. W. <laughs> It did look like a. I always think of those when something comes out of somebody's helmet. It looks like a Formula One crash, where like all of a sudden, like there's just a yard sale of parts. And you're like, "What was that? <laughs> it was this mouthpiece?" Do you know that Dave Wyman did not wear a mouthpiece? That dude played four years at Stanford, nine years in the NFL, and he didn't wear a mouthpiece. Wow, that's like the third baseman who doesn't wear a cup. Yeah, sometimes they wind up wondering if the cup is half full or not, though. Ooh, <laughs> I still. I'll always remember that. I was I was interning at MLB.com in the summer that that happened to Adrian Beltre. Yeah, and yeah. and the it was it it kind of came out of nowhere because he finished the game. It was an extra, an extra inning game, and he finished the game. And then Don Wakamatsu's pregame the next day, he just kind of drops it, and everyone's like, "Oh!" And I, like every every little detail he's sharing, it's like, "Oh, oh, ow!" That sounds horrible. There's a reporter there, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not 100 positive who it was, so I'm not going to use the name. But I think there were questions that were asked of like, did it get twisted? Because I know sometimes when that happens, they get twisted. I can confirm like a, this. Yes, <laughs> there was like a hand. There was a hand. There was a hand motion. Yes, as if as if as if one were tightening a light bulb. 
to demonstrate what would happen if you had a testicular contusion in which it was twisted. I believe Wakamatsu's response was, um, uh, no, no, there was not. <laughs> Did you know that, that the Mariners, well, this is going to change this year. This year, most likely, the Mariners will now equal have equal playoff berths to ruptured testicles. In their franchise history. Yes. I th- like I, I didn't like Alex Akita tweet that somewhat of like a couple <laughs> yeah, weeks was, back. Incredible. There, yeah, they've had they've had five, including one dude who had two. One half man, half manzanilla. Jose Manzanilla suffered two ruptured testicles on one play. You know what's amazing though? I believe he threw the batter out on that play, if I'm remembering right. It was a line drive back to him. I think he threw the batter out before probably passing out. Yeah, Jenks called Jenks called him to write a story about it. I remember that. <laughs> and Adrian Beltre finished the game. So yeah, you know, yeah, some tough dudes. Some yeah. tough dudes. What's your? You mentioned the run defense. So what's is that your biggest concern coming out of this game? That yeah. Like- yes. Um. Yeah. I, I was. I thought. I thought. I thought the kid from the the transfer from Florida International. Is that right? Where's the the linebacker that transferred in number nine? Oh, um, uh, Chris from UAB. From UAB, sorry. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I I'm not I'm not an all twenty two uh, sort of junkie, so I haven't gone back and. But I I thought I thought he looked pretty good. I thought I thought that it seemed like Kent State when they kind of decided, okay, we're not going to try to win the game anymore. We're just going to get it over with. That they were actually able to control the ball. And and that's that's hard to sort of draw a firm conclusion on because there's a little bit of no moss that's happened at that point, but it did seem like they were pretty effective at running the ball, and that's not that's not what they wanted to do, and so it made me worry of like oh if they had done this earlier this might have been a different game because it's clearly not what their offense is built around. Um, yeah. I, I was I was I was less than I was I was less than enthralled with how they defended the run. What did you think of the pass defense? Because their starting well, their starter was twelve of twenty four, but they did hit a couple a couple big ones. Yeah, so part of that depends on how injured Jordan Perryman is, and and from what true you probably have more information on this. That looked bad. And they said this week that it wasn't bad, that it's not a long-term thing. Um, I don't think they're very deep back there, and I don't think they have extraordinary speed over the top. Like, that was my and And it certainly looks like exactly what you said earlier, where they've got a lot more people a lot closer to the line of scrimmage. That They're, they're going to they're gonna dare some people to throw the ball down the field. And that's not... They had a couple good receivers. That's not the best passing offense that Washington is going to go against this year. And if they leave those corners out on islands like that, you're going to see more big pass plays given up. And that's that's even if Jordan Perryman's healthy. And if he's not, I think they've got some questions out there. It sounds like, I mean, they're saying day-to-day, but it sounds like he's got a chance to play this week, uh, which so do you, I don't know. If you could... do, we, do we know how DeBoer's going to be on injuries this year? Like, do you have a sense of that? Because I feel like these are these are hard questions to ask because I don't know if he's going to be like other college coaches whose injury reports have absolutely no bearing on the reality of how healthy a kid is or not. He plays things pretty tight in terms of like, you know, Edifu Edifu Onyulafoshio got hurt in winter conditioning and 
you know, we weren't told until like the start of spring practice. And even then, like he didn't say what the injury was. I think he's going to be really like secretive about that sort of thing. Like if, if nobody saw it, if it didn't happen during a game or an open practice, I think he's, he's going to do what he can to make sure that like he's not specifying which part of the body or whatever. Um, yeah, he's, been relatively open about the fact that like Jackson Kirkland is very much not 100% and it's kind of been like touch and go as to whether he's going to be ready to play this week. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, Jim, Jimmy Lake certainly wouldn't have told you that much. And Chris Peterson probably wouldn't have either. Um, so far, I mean, like all of their injury updates so far have been pretty optimistic. So we'll see if they're on the Pete Carroll program where, you know, they're saying like whatever the update is. Uh, who who was it? Was it you who said that who, whatever whatever injury update Pete Carroll gives, it, it's what he wants to happen. It's not yes. necessarily what's most likely to happen. Yes, hundred we'll, percent. We'll see if they're on that program. Yeah, it's it's how you have to understand pretty much everything Pete Carroll says is that if you just accept that this is this is the most optimistic, this is what he wants to have happen. <laughs> it it's much more accurate, and and you can kind of kind of tell that what he's like will basically tell you like well we're seeing if he can push the timetable to come back you're like oh he's a month away (laughs) that that, that dude's not coming back anytime soon and the reason i ask that is because i think it's eminently possible watching that injury i thought he tore his achilles like that's that's what i thought when i saw perriman it looked like it was a non-contact injury and he he had to be helped off and wasn't putting any weight on it and then when i hear this week that oh we think he's day-to-day and could be back i was like I'm totally prepared for him not to be in uniform and on Saturday for it to be revealed that like, Hey, he's lost for the year. But that's, that's kind of my bias about what football coaches tend to do rather than any insight on what happened to the player or how DeBoer usually handles these things. Cause maybe that's not what he does. And if he had actually suffered a torn Achilles, Kalen DeBoer would have come out and totally said that because everybody saw that he was hurt and he's not going to play any games. So I, I, I'll, this is this is something I'm going to file in my memory bank before I come up with my my uh, patented formula of how to interpret Kalen DeBoer injury updates. I I tend to believe him on this one. I think that uh, you know on a Monday two days after the game, if he'd actually like had something like a torn Achilles, I would think that they would they, you know, that that would be known by then. And I don't think he'd be playing the like well he could play this week type of game. And like with with Alumu Ale, we we all saw him get carted out of practice. That looked like every like major surgery type injury that you know any of us who cover football have ever witnessed. Just as far as you know, he's not moving for a long time. Ton of medical attention. They put him. They put some sort of cast. I don't know if it was actually an air cast, but some sort of cast or brace on him. They put him on the back of a cart. Teammates are coming over. You know, giving him words of encouragement and stuff. You know, the building has gone totally silent. Guys are on one knee. And then they said, oh, great, great news. He's only going to miss a couple weeks and he's going to be able to play in the opener. And he did. He didn't, I don't believe he started. Um, he didn't play more than like 15 snaps or so, I don't think. So it was limited, but that was kind of right in line with sort of the vibe I got from how they were talking about him. Like, well, like this week before the season, it's going to be a big week for him to see if he can play. Hopefully he can help us out in some capacity. So that was like, oh, okay. Like it's going to be a just get him on the field type of thing and not like we're going to rely on this guy for 40 snaps type of deal. So, and that's what it was. So I think they're like one for one so far in terms of 
how they talked about a guy's injury and, and what the reality turned out to be. Well, that's good news because he's a pretty important player, and I'm not sure how much depth they have at corner, and they certainly don't have the speed at corner that they've had in the past, or at least the ability to to cover one-on-one because it, it looks like they're going to dare some people to throw over the top, and in college football there's no shortage of people that are going to take them up on that opportunity. You talked all that slander about kickers a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and then Peyton, Peyton Henry goes out and makes a, a, a great tackle on a kickoff. He did. He did. Although I wondered about. So <laughs> they they did throw that touchdown pass on the next play, but he, you know, so he kind of dared the guy to hurdle him, though, didn't he? Like, if we're gonna actually a little break bit. down the tackling technique, like he kind of put a knee down. He was a glorified speed bump, essentially. <laughs> he was not credited Although, with a tackle, which I was surprised about. That's lame because he definitely he definitely did. I. I think back the one I always think about <laughs> Seabass when the Seahawks had Sebastian. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And there was one time, I mean, he flat out just jogged by the dude, like didn't didn't make any effort to to do anything. Uh, which was, I think Pete even said later, he was like, yeah, he kind of wishes he would have made a better effort on that. And I was like, better? How about any, any <laughs> effort? So on the overall scheme of kicker, like Peyton Henry showed a nose for contact. Like he wanted, he wanted to get hit. Um, I'm reluctant to praise the tackling technique though, because he did, he did kind of turn himself into a stationary object and, and essentially attempt to, to steer the guy out of bounds, which is what happened. We're seeing a lot of hurdling in college football nowadays, I feel like. Yeah. Jack Westover. Jack Westover has no problem attempting the hurdle. Um, the hurdle the hurdle is a high-risk, high-reward type maneuver. Like People don't realize like the reason that, that generally pros don't do it is because when you do it against other pros, you end up getting waxed. All the guy has to do is raise his level a little bit or there's somebody waiting for you on the other side as you're coming down and then you're in trouble. Uh, so I'm all for hurdling because it's going to be spectacular one way or the other. Nobody's ever going to top the, the Najee Harris hurdle in the, in the national championship game a couple of years ago. That was, yeah, that I think that probably ranks as like the number one all time modern hurdle. Maybe there's one from back in the day I'm blanking on, but that's, that's going to be a tough one to top. Although. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty dominant. Plus Najee Harris is such a stud. Yeah. Did you watch much of uh much Pac twelve? I did. I watched a lot of Pac twelve. What was your uh, what was your favorite game? Like what was what do you think uh, was the most enjoyable watch? <laughs> what do you think? Well <laughs> let's say get get getting wa- wa- watching Oregon have cement poured into its washing machine of an offense. Like that that I totally enjoyed. Like the only the, there was a part there was a part of me and it was about midway through the second quarter where I was like, ah, there's only one thing that's bad about this. Like the the only thing that's bad about this is Bo Nix looks so bad that I don't even have hope that he's still going to be Oregon's starter when the season when they roll around to play in Washington. Like he looks so terrible that I I'm not even going to dare to dream that he's still their starting quarterback by the time. But watching Oregon just get pantsed in front of God and everybody was fantastic. Just beautiful. And then trying to sum it up when I talked to a couple of different people I know who are Oregon fans, trying to tell them that I was actually I was actually a little disappointed because it does kind of make the conference look bad. <laughs> like being able to say that 
and realize like they're having to to sort of like how honest is he being like is he just taking the piss out of me like exactly what's happening it was that i i thoroughly enjoyed watching oregon just get dragged drag them up and down the field their their offense that offense was worse than i dared to hope like that offense was awful how good is georgia man oh my Mm -hmm. god and like watch this Oregon's first uh was it their first possession second possession the first interception the kid I mean it's 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 not even that like terrible of a decision I I don't think to throw in that direction but the kid makes a he looks like a receiver making an acrobatic backwards leaping interception it's like oh yeah true freshman safety you know this the the latest five star in there playing and you know making huge plays and that guy was like looked like their best player it was phenomenal. Um, there is a different level. I saw a quote from uh, Mike Leach this week when he was talking to John Canzano. And what, Mississippi State plays Arizona this week? Mm-hmm. Um, and Canzano's had a, a long relationship with Leach. Yeah. And Leach, Leach made the comment that the, where you see the real difference in the SEC is, is defensive line. He's totally right about that. And a lot of people will talk about the speed, but it's not the speed of of just wide receivers or running backs. Like they're, they're faster, but the rest of the country has speed at those positions too. Like the PAC 12, I'm not going to say they're as fast as the sec it at, at skill positions, but the, the gap between PAC 12 speed at wide receiver and the sec is much smaller than the gap between defensive speed Yep, from the PAC 12 to the sec. The speed and size that those defenses play at, it is an entirely different cut of meat. Like it is, it's just, it's a different level. And as much as I laugh and joke about and enjoyed watching Oregon get clubbed, there's not any part of me that thinks that Washington would have fared any better. Like not, not, not a single, not, well, no, I think Washington would have scored a touchdown. I think I think Washington would have scored a touchdown, but there's it's Georgia looks awesome, and you know what? SEC defenses are legit. I, it's kind of the one. I mean, it's it's the downside to playing like a big time legit opponent in week one, where you get the initial respect of like, oh wow, okay, they've got you know Washington's going to go to Atlanta and play Auburn in their opener in 2018 or you're seeing a lot more of these like high profile home and home matchups where, you know, if you're, if you're an Oregon fan, you know, everyone's talking about how you face planted and didn't score a mm-hmm. touchdown against the defending national champions. Whereas like all your, your Washington fan friends get to celebrate this, you know, 45 to 20 win over a Mac team at home. And you're like, well, if we'd played a Mac team at home in week one, like you, what you don't think Oregon would have beat Kent State? Like I got a, we did a, a Pac-12 mailbag today about you know who should be happier with their new coach after one week, Washington or Oregon. And I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of a, like it's a, it's a small sample size to to say anything yeah, definitively. That's a, that's a dumb question. But yeah. um, yeah, reverse the opponents and like how good are Washington fans feel? And it would like it it would be silly to say like, oh, Dan Lanning's not going to work out at Oregon because they they were non-competitive against the defending national champs in week yeah, that's one. Dumb. And it'd be silly to say that about Kalen DeBoer if the, the roles had been reversed right. and Washington were playing in that game. But the way, what yeah. what I kind of thought, though, was 
you know, Oregon didn't want a coaching change. Like Washington did. Washington was Washington yeah. fans were desperate for a new coach by the end of last season. And oh my gosh, you know, get get us away from this and and you know, go go get someone who can who's gonna score points and has been a head coach and all this. So they were already kind of like predisposed to be happy with Kalen DeBoer, I think. Whereas Dan Lanning came into a situation where, you know, they had just won a Rose Bowl somewhat recently, and they won, did win ten games last year, even though they they got thumped by Utah a couple times. But their coach left for another job, and and then they hired a, a first time head coach, and so expectations are really high. But like Oregon fans were not in a position where it was like oh thank god mario cristobal's gone you know yes now we've got now we've got someone in here who, you know like it's very he's in prove it mode he's in wait and see mode from from the get-go whereas kalen DeBoer came into a program that was just like desperate for a turnaround desperate for some good vibes and something to latch on to and you know even before they played kent state on saturday he had kind of given everybody that just with the way he operated the program so i think just like from a the threshold's a lot lower uh, from Washington's perspective to answer that question, I think. I, I totally agree with that. And I don't think that that result against Georgia speaks any... Look, I'm of the perspective and belief that you should play good teams in non-conference. And the teams that choose not to do that are weenies. And the fans that want their teams not to do that are are seeking frauds. Like, you, 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 you want... You want front runner like to feel good about instead of an actual indication like good games, good programs should want good games. And there's a difference between scheduling recklessly, but like especially with the college football playoff like expanding down the road too. Like I think it's good that Oregon took that game. And I think that Oregon is a better program because they've been willing to take those kind of games increasingly over the last few years like i i i think all of those are those are really good signs um there does come like a a little bit of blowback but i consider that blowback to be from the annoying fair weather joe six-pack fans who really want their look if washington's 2-0 and going into michigan state like i'm not gonna think that washington has anything going well i'm gonna think that okay they're not bad We'll see. We'll see how good that team actually is, and I'm excited to see them play Michigan State. Like I, I, I want them to play teams like that. I hated it when Steve Sarkeesian started softening the schedule. I, I thought it was, I thought it was bad for the program. Not only am I paying for worse games, but it's I, I think I think that's what weenie teams do. I think that's what little soft trying to coddle your way to holiday bowl berth teams do. Um, like I, I, I want to see teams play good games and. The one thing with Oregon, and and this is this is like a quarter baked. It's not even a half baked question. What do we know about their quarterback development over the past few few years? Because they they kind of they've got they've got a couple of different things that they've done where they've kind of got themselves into situations where they've had to hope for they've had to hope for a transfer or go to a transfer to get a starting. And this is going to sound because Washington is starting a transfer, and there's certainly some holes that you can poke, but for as much skill and speed as Oregon has put out there, like that would be like, you kind of, you, they were in a difficult position. And when you have to turn to Bo Nix as your starter, like I, they're not, they were not, they were not recruiting from a position of strength there at a very important position. It was the rare instance with Justin Herbert, right? Where I, I think his college career 
maybe belied what a what a great pro prospect yeah. he was. And I obviously yeah. still a first round pick and all that. It's not like it hurt his his stock, but I think his rookie year was like, whoa, this like Watching this guy looks way ball? better unbelievably better like i he played really well against washington like he played a really good game against washington but i also thought that was one of the best games he played what he looked like in the pros was completely different and i was i kind of thought of it as like why didn't cristobal use this more like that he looked awesome i am i i know it's it's a kind of a similar situation to sam heward down there with ty thompson where he was a big time recruit coming in and i think you know a lot of people in their heart kind of would have liked to see him win that quarterback battle. I don't know how much of a battle it was. I think everybody kind of knew it was going to be Bo Nix from the the moment they went out and got him, similar to Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. But, you know, I think if if they'd come out, you know, game one and or or released a depth chart, you know, or announced a starter or whatever and said, like, we're going with Ty Thompson, there's a lot of people who would have been like, oh, like Ty Thompson, okay, let's see what he's got. So mm-hmm. I think there are still Oregon fans who would, would like to see him sort of get the opportunity and like given the you know, given the uh the, the leash a little bit, the way that, that Husky fans, you know, kinda want us deep down want to see Sam Heward get that opportunity. So maybe at some point, you know, we get to see a little bit of what, what Ty Thompson can do. I don't know. Um, you know, that was shoot, you know, well, how how would he have done making his debut against Georgia? Make, I don't. I don't think he started a game yet um, in college. You know how would how would he have looked against that defense? So that would have been a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. So whether I mean it, it might it might just be the case that Bo Nix is the best they've got, and maybe yeah. it's maybe it's not all that close. I don't know. You know, didn't didn't watch their training camp, so we'll see how the the quarterback position progresses there. I do. I mean, I think Penix certainly. I, I think quelled any thought that he's not the very best quarterback on Washington's roster at least. Yeah, I would agree. He looked he couldn't have looked better. You, it, it it was it's different to watch a lefty throw. Like that 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 part's different, but man, he got the ball around and after 2 years of John Donovan, it was it was beautiful to see a functional a functional college offense. Like it was fantastic. It was so much fun. Did the running game concern you at all? Didn't look great, but uh Talapapa, am I saying it right? Yeah. I'm going to screw up some of these names. Um, I thought I, I thought he was pretty explosive. I like the way he runs between the tackles. He's certainly a stout runner. Um, but yeah, like it wasn't. But then I, I set standards so high with that. I'm like, because Kent State, we'll see how good Kent State is. But they, they've, been a, they've been a good MAC team. And <laughs> I'm looking like, eh, they just shouldn't be able to stop them. And Washington scored on his first five possessions. Like any anything that I say... That would lead after what they'd scored seventeen points in their first two games last year. Washington had is that right? That is correct. Yes, seventeen points, and they scored on their first five possessions. Everything looked awesome. Everything is awesome. Did you watch Wasu Idaho at all? I didn't watch. I'm any so of that glad game. we didn't pick that one. I was ready to hammer the Cougs, and you said not so fast. <laughs> they, um. Yeah, I didn't. So from and so it was mostly what I read. Uh but it sounded like their defense was pretty good. Um which is which is certainly a welcome change for people over on the Palouse, but there were some there were some anxious moments in that game. <laughs> like there were there, there there were some anxious there there were some there were some very very there were some nerves that came through. So we each went 2 and 2 
against the spread last week in our, our four-game sample. We both missed the, the Washington game. We both picked Kent State to cover the 23, which they did not. Um, we, we both nailed the, the Georgia-Oregon game. George, yep. Georgia covered the 17 easily, and then you missed your, your pick of Boise State I in, know. in Corvallis. It was my fault for under under underselling Jonathan Smith. That game was surprisingly never close. 20, no. 24 to nothing at halftime. And the you know, Oregon State gets like a convincing win over a team they were only favored to beat by a couple points, yet still comes out of that game feeling like they probably should have won by a lot more. Yeah. Because they had think they had three turnovers and a bunch of penalties and drop passes and Beavs might be good, man. Yeah. Just imagine when the Beavs clean it up, Danny. Yeah, you, there was also this is this does not relate to anything other than the nickname. There was a front page story on the New York Times this week about a rancher in Nevada who has stopped his dad constantly blew up beaver dams, like had forty years of of blowing up beaver dams. Oh, and his son has decided to like live in peace with the beavers, and it's turned out to be a uh, an actual like effective tool combating some of the dangers of climate change. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I love those sort of stories. It was talking about like the nature's engineer was get, was getting busy out there, and it actually might be a quiet tool to fight climate change. I was like, go beeps. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty good. I my favorite New York Times story recently was about the um, the guy the guy who who oversees the mud that gets the, like the official mud that gets rubbed onto Major League Baseballs. Have you ever read much about? Yes, that? yes. Isn't that just like a, this billion-dollar industry, multi-billion-dollar industry, that everything is so formalized and official, and you think of it as being like this well-oiled machine, and it's like our our baseballs must be rubbed with mud, and it must be this mud, and only this guy knows where it is, and he won't tell us, and we're and and, and he charges like nothing for it. Yeah, right. Like it's this finite supply that he has the market fully cornered on. But he's not like doing it to get rich. He just like is really into it. He's he's an artisan. Like the man's, he might even be an artist. Yeah, I I, I love those sort of stories. It is a, um, a very baseball kind of thing, I guess, when you think about it. I sat there and watched. Well, this was when I was covering the Seahawks. Hasselback was the quarterback because it's not the same thing. But in in the NFL, like each team gets to prepare. I think it's like then it was like twelve balls. Each team gets to prepare those that their, that their quarterback will use while they're on offense. And then there's kicking balls, which are used in kicking situations. But so I watched them prepare. I watched them prepare the the Seahawks side for, for footballs. And they were using like a little like electric hand buffer to rub the sheen off of a new ball. And like the dude is sweating and he's rubbing the sweat into it. They're using a little bit of sandpaper. And it was just this really weird thing to watch of like you're thinking about like this multi-billion dollar industry that the NFL is and how much everything comes on. And here it comes down to a guy in a room buffing a ball to the satisfaction of Matt Hasselbeck, who then like puts his hands on him and throws him, like licks his fingers, feels how it's going. He's like, those are good. Like it's a very where you're like, yeah, this isn't this isn't all that different from like playing with an inflated pig bladder when it comes down to it. Do you think they still they don't still make them out of the pig bladders, do they? No, uh, I'm sure it's some sort of like specialized. They call them the Duke now, too. Yeah, that'd be great if it was maybe. No, no, there's no way that it's actual. Who do you think was the last the last quarterback to throw a pig bladder? (laughs) Ah, uh, 
Ken Stabler? They might not have been throwing the ball by that point. I don't know. Yeah. Puffing on a heater. Like, whoever it was definitely smoked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a there was a, a pack of marbs under their, their shirt sleeve, their uniform sleeve. Um, yeah, I'm conv- there's got to be somebody that still smokes that's a professional athlete, right? Like, when I covered the Sonics, so that was like 2002 to 2005, and they had a couple Eastern Europeans, and one of them, and I'm not sure which one smoked, like, you could, like there were definitely times that it was clear that, that a, 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 a cigarette had been smoked. Um, there's got to still, because you don't see anybody do it anymore, not, not even coaches. Like, I can't remember the last... There's somebody's still got to be out there smoking cigarettes, there's still, right? Uh, there's still some baseball managers, right? I would think so, but I haven't seen one in a long time. Like Leland used to sneak them. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Lou Pinello would smoke a heater for every now and then. Yeah, I want to say maybe Ron Washington. Oh, I could see that. I might be. I might be remembering that wrong. Um, and then we so we we both picked the Utah Florida game. I was very high on the Utes. Uh, yeah, you, you were not. You thought Florida would get them. They did. So we each, was, we each went two and two. They blew that game. Like that was I, by the end, I was rooting for Utah in that game. Like even though it would have made like I wanted, it's like that's this would be bad. This would be better for the conference if Utah wins. I thought their quarterback was playing well, and then he just made a dumb decision. Just a dumb decision. It's a great game though. It was a good game. It was a good game. Um, I th- that that Florida quarterback's really good. Yeah, Anthony, Anthony Richardson. He looks like, like a star. Yeah, yeah, he does. He 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 looked really, really good. I came away from that feeling like, okay, Florida's a lot better than what the preseason poll would indicate. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Like Florida, Florida's a legit team. Like Florida, Florida will make a bowl. Like Florida, I I could see Florida winning some some big games even in the SEC. Like they jumped to number twelve in the in the polls this week, right ahead of Utah at thirteen, and I feel like if they have a number 12 team in the country type of season that shouldn't be a loss that like materially harms utah if they take care of business in the pac-12 but no pac-12 teams ever got nine and zero. so yeah utah's not going to be the first no it's just it's just really hard really hard to win nine conference games even uh even in the pac-12 yeah i be i've yeah. become less and less like i I just don't think it matters that the national narrative is that oh the Pac-12 like blew these opportunities again because I I kind of don't think I like I think that the threshold for them getting into the playoff in the eyes of the committee whether anyone would admit it or not is just going to be higher than the other leagues because there is already this stigma against them so like Oregon gets blown out by Georgia or you know Utah can't finish a, a great win against Florida on the road an unranked Florida team at the time like whatever you know. They're gonna they're gonna go eleven and two or something and not not get in and and probably play another like great Rose Bowl game and like who cares who cares what everyone else thinks of the Pac twelve at this point. None of I would say this, like the fear that you have as a Pac twelve fan is that you'll have a deserving team that doesn't get in, right? Because of the national reputation. But if there's not a worthy team of making the college football playoff. Like, what's the actual joy or the pride that would come from doing that? I know you'd want your team to go no matter what, but like, if Utah's going to get, if Utah was going to get housed, if Utah was going to go there and pull a Notre Dame and just get trounced, like, why do I want that to happen for the Pac-12? Like, I, I don't, I don't know that that actually. And so, Oregon going and playing Georgia and getting blown out by Georgia, 
I don't think that's some sort of big blight on the conference because I don't think anybody in the conference is going to fare that well against Georgia. So I don't, I don't know. I, I want to see good games and I want to see the conference challenge itself. And if they lose those games, well, that just shows you where you are. Like, I, I don't, I don't see this hang up or this need to feel like, oh, we need to shield ourselves from those sort of early season disappointments. If you suck or if you're not at that level, it's fine if everybody sees it because you're, you're not. I could tell you why it, you should want that, that Pac-12 team to make it into the playoff. It's for the very most important reason and the, the thing that fans root for the most now in college football. You know what that is? Money? Revenue. Yeah. See, screw that. Like, I'm, I'm convinced, like, all of this. And it's easy for me to say the revenue doesn't go to the players. And I don't know that the revenue actually makes this big, tangible difference that everybody thinks it does. Like, oh, you need more revenue. Like, okay. Yeah, I think most of it ends up going to administrators. Like, I don't... I, what is the tangible benefit? The next year you get to spend more money on players? Like, that, that's not how it works, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like, people, people in college football root for really weird things. They, they root for really strange things. And that's part of the, the problem that I have with everybody thinking, like, oh, Washington should go to the Big Ten. Because if you don't do that, you're going to get left behind. But did you see what UCLA looked like? Yep. Did you see what the Rose Bowl, like what the announced attendance, I think, was 26,000? 20. Yeah, bad. It, and it looked, it looked like half that. It looked awful, and they played Bowling Green. You're like, good luck with that. Like, yeah, I'm sure you're going to stay relevant because that'll change when Illinois is coming. I, I, yeah, anyway. Don't you think all those people who didn't go, though, or the people that did go will just, their their hearts will be full with the knowledge that they can now pay their administrators more than all the other schools <laughs> left in the Pac-10. See, isn't that it's 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 baffling to me? Or you're like, oh, we'll get better locker rooms. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay, and may, and maybe like legitimately, maybe the players enjoy that. And if they do, that's awesome. Hey, that, that's great. Like, I don't think it's this difference that people that that people see it as. And actually, here the UCLA thing is a great example of why two of the things that people say. And and the, the sort of the 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 typical approach to it are absolutely asinine. First of all, that's the kind of game you're supposed to schedule, right? Because you don't want to take unnecessary risks, and you you don't you don't want to get your ass kicked by by Georgia. So you you schedule Bowling Green. And then the second thing is like UCLA has made the smart decision. They're going where the money is, and they're going to be a big TV market. And then you look at it, and you're like, twenty six thousand people are there to watch a UCLA team that hasn't really been any good under Chip Kelly play a Bowling Green team nobody in that area gives a rip about and like and that's supposed to be better how because you're going to make more money from it I don't know if I don't buy it it would I think UCLA fans who are fired up about the revenue thing I think if, I feel like they're thinking they're in the mindset of if we were still in the Pac-12 getting that kind of money like yeah. you're getting the same money as the 15 other schools in this way better conference you're joining. So, I'm it's not they exactly really, an advantage. It's going to work for USC. Like I I think that's very clear and some of that has to do with the coach that they have there now. It's going to work for USC. I think UCLA is going to be worse off because of this. I think this will hurt UCLA in the long run because you already have a basketball program that is not nearly as good as it thinks it is. And has not been, I mean, for 30 years as relevant as it's supposed to be. 
and good and dominant as it's supposed to be. And then you've got a football team that has has been this is the most extended period. Like UCLA used to have it UCLA and USC got the most talent in the Pac twelve. Like that that's how it used to be. And even when Washington was good, people would say those two programs get more talent. That's not true with UCLA anymore. Like their their facilities suck. Like they they haven't they haven't had an identity. Their uniforms that everybody looks at, I think, look soft. And now they're going to go into a conference where they're going to have no identity. I think I think I think UCLA will be worse off five years from now than they are now. In that spirit, we are not going to pick the UCLA Alcorn State game, or excuse me, Alabama State game. <laughs> uh, what games are we doing this week? One of, you, one of those is, one of those AL states. Yeah, <laughs> what was I? I was like, he's from South Florida. No, he's from UAB. You moron. <laughs> Number nine. How dare you? Linebacker they got. How dare you? <laughs> we have the one and zero, nevertheless one and zero Washington State Cougars traveling to Madison, Wisconsin, oh. to take on the Badgers. Returning to head coach Jake Hick- Jake Dickert's home state, uh, a lot of emotions there. This is a uh, uh, the Badgers are favored by seventeen and a half. That's a big ugly number. Yeah. That is a big ugly number. Do we know if Wisconsin played at home last week? I'm nearly they certain did. they did. They did. They won 38-0 against Illinois State. Cougs are going to cover. I like them to cover also. I think it's the classic, like, you get sucked in by that really close result against Idaho and think. Cougs are going to cover. They're not going to win, but they're going to cover. Going on the road against Wisconsin, tough place to play. Oh, man, they looked so bad last week. I think it's the classic, like, they're going to look way better against the better opponent. And it's yeah. going to be close. And I also probably would take Wisconsin straight up. But yeah. I like Wazoo covering the 17.5. Only a 49 total on this one. Yeah, that's pretty low. I think I'd go over there. I I'd have I'd to go over. I, I would also. I'd have to go back. When was the last time Wazoo played in a game where the total was 49? <laughs> I don't mean actually. I don't mean the actual result. I mean when that was the the, the given total by the casinos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would that that would that certainly wasn't going to happen during the Mike Leach era. So we both like Wazoo this week. Um, we're gonna we're gonna also pick Mississippi State going to play at one and zero Arizona. Arizona, all things considered, might have had like the most impressive result of any conference team last week. Yeah, um, taking it to San Diego State on the road as a six point underdog. I was surprised by that. I see. I was and I wasn't. I don't know that I would have picked them to win that game, but like. I've been on Arizona. I like I I, I really? like I like them to be a lot better. I think I still picked them to finish like tenth in the conference. So when they go ten and two, I'm not going to be able to say like I told you so. But um, I yeah, they, they've got a legit quarterback and a really one really good proven receiver, Jacob Cowing, a really good true freshman receiver in uh, Tetroya McMillan, and uh, they just think they're better. I think they're they were so bad offensively last year that it obscured what was actually like probably an okay defense if you put them with most Pac-12 offenses. Um, and I, I just I I think they're better and they 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 played better, but they are nevertheless a ten and a half point underdog at home against Mississippi State this week. I'm taking the Bulldogs. I'm taking the Bulldogs. Like I think they'll win. I think they're going to cover. Um, and I base that entirely on Jed Fish is still Arizona's head coach. Correct? <laughs> you you are not a Jed Fish guy. No, I am not. He was an assistant coach with the with the Seattle Seahawks for a year. I am out on Jed Fish. I am out on him. So 
as long as, I, as a matter of fact, Christian, it's possible that I'm never going to pick the Wildcats as long as Jed Fish is their head coach. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Well, we're, I'm I'm going to throw them on the ledger again next week. I think they play North Dakota State next week. <laughs> so that's kind of an that's an interesting yeah, like exactly. I, I really like the North Dakota State. Yeah. Pick, man. <laughs> I'm all over that. I'm I'm taking Arizona. I like Arizona. Really? I like You're Arizona. Go with the fighting fishes at home. Ten and a half. I don't I don't trust Mike Leach's team traveling traveling west. I feel like he usually fared pretty well against Arizona uh, when he was at Wazoo, but I think this is a case of like Arizona is is better than expected, and they're going to catch some 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 lofty point spreads that uh, maybe you wouldn't see later in the season. Type maybe maybe I'm I'm over maybe San Diego State's just not not as good as anyone thought they'd be, and there's not much to read into that game. But I don't know playing at home. SEC team, Mike Leach teams are kind of unpredictable. Um, you got Jaden Delora going against his uh, the the head coach who recruited him. I don't know if that means anything. Probably not, but it is true. So, you know, there you go. Sixty and a half the total on this one. Yeah, I I think more interesting than the over under is what time, like on the clock, will this game conclude? The kick is scheduled for eight p.m. Pacific. Ooh, yeah, and it might start late. It's FS1. Like, do they do they get it in by midnight? No, no, no. I think I I, I think it's going to be twelve twenty Pacific. See, I think you're talking about Arizona covering if it goes that late. Because <laughs> I think you need you need you need two teams throwing the ball, moving it up and down the field for that to to be the case. Although we know Mississippi State is not going to run the ball at any ever. point. It could be up <laughs> by up by fifty, and it's not going to happen. So yeah. Uh, all right, our third our third non-Washington game. There is one conference game this week. Yes, there is. USC visits Stanford. It's it's traditional early season matchup with Stanford. Uh, the Trojans are favored by eight. I like Stanford in this game, and I think I would take Stanford to win this game straight up. Wow. You were that impressed with their win over Colgate? No. <laughs> I, I, think Stanford, I think Stanford does stuff in the run game, and, and I think that... As as much emphasis has been on what Lincoln Riley is going to do with this offense, like I I I like I like Stanford to control this game, and and I think it's going to be low scoring. The over under is sixty seven and a half. I would take the under on this. I think this is this is going to be a bit of a of a of a slow grinded out. Um, I can see USC winning this, but I don't think they're going to win by by more than eight. I don't necessarily disagree with you about what Stanford can get done offensively. EJ Smith had a nice debut um, as their starting running back. I think he led all conference rushers in week one, if I'm remembering right. Um, I don't trust Stanford's defense yet, and I do think USC massively upgraded on the offensive side of the ball. And it just looks like you know Caleb Williams was as advertised yep. in their dominant win over Rice. Uh, they, they got beat food. <laughs> Well, hey, these teams beat food and toothpaste last week. So, <laughs> I think they got great receivers. I think they got a, a handful of running backs who are really good. I mean, we all, yeah, everybody knows Travis Dye can 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 get a lot done on the ground. And I just think they have way too many weapons offensively for Stanford to handle. And not sold on Stanford's defense after how bad they were last year. So, I am going to take USC to cover the eight. You know, one of the other reasons that I'm picking Stanford in this game. 
is because I think that the conference is going to follow my advice and job <laughs> the Trojans and the Bruins. <laughs> I totally want it to happen. Like anything that goes to replay review, just like summarily screw them. Just forget you guys. I, 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 and as a matter of fact, I don't see any reason that that shouldn't happen. Like they should, you guys want to do that? Here you go. Here's your parting gift. Absolutely, absolutely host. You're, you're clinging to this. Yes, what, what about, I want it to happen. Well, but there's been, you know, Stanford's kind of in that in that box of like Pac-12 teams being connected to the Big Ten. So, you know. Stanford Stanford has a higher likelihood of their faculty voting to disband uh, varsity athletics than they do of having the faculty sign off on them going to the Big Ten. There's no, I, I don't, I don't see any chance that that happens. Um, and do, if it does, I hope they get hosed too. Do they consult the faculty on on conspiring with the officials to hold USC and UCLA down? <laughs> I don't know how they'd feel about that. That's not very sporting. <laughs> no, it's not. But I, I I actually feel it would be just desserts. I I feel I feel it's warranted under the circumstances. The only line I can find on Washington and Portland State is is Washington by twenty eight and a half. Twenty eight and a half. They don't give much faith to Neil Lomax, do they? <laughs> what was the number Neil Lomax threw for like seven, was it almost 800 yards? Yeah, yeah, he threw for a ton of yards. It is a, um, so what should we do? Should we, pick, should we go to, what was it, 28? 28 and a half. Washington's going to cover that. Washington's going to boat race him. Yeah, I mean, I figure you... You beat Kent State by twenty five. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, yeah sh- you should be able to. That. You now Portland State hung in there against San Jose State. Um, yeah, they had a. Did you see the last? Did you happen to see the last play? I did. I did see the last play. <laughs> I la- I, Jose- I I had to laugh at like all. I saw it on Twitter, and of course, all the comments are like, "Is there a monster truck rally going on like around the stadium right now?" Because their stadium's just like perpetually under construction. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a bizarre both of those programs are exceptionally strange. And it it has to do with them being commuter schools in fairly urban areas, but yeah, it was <laughs> it's really funny to watch. I've actually I've, I've gone to games at Portland State. Like I I've, I've always thought that that would be a low-key place that could get it going. Um but it's never really happened. I mean, they even had Jerry Glanville there for a little bit and couldn't really get it going. That's right. Yeah. What a what a weird hire that was. It's so strange, isn't it? Weird to think that Jerry Glanville, like he had two NFL head coaching jobs, like like it's it's and and it's a different it's a different time. Like I don't I don't think something like that could happen now, but like it's just wild. Like he. I don't know how smart that dude is. And he was a head coach of two different teams in the NFL. There was John McClain, who's a longtime beat reporter for the Houston Chronicle, has a I, I believe that he got into a fist fight with Glanville. And Glanville, I think, I think called him into the office and shut the door and or and said something like, um, like, I'm gonna kick your ass now, or something like that. Like, I'll have to look up the exact details of it. And so there's there's like some sort of altercation. And the GM, who I I can't remember for sure who the GM was, but the GM called John McClain and said, so Glanville says that the reason that he wanted to fight you was because you called me an idiot. 
And McLean's response was, that sounds like something he'd say and wouldn't comment on what had happened at all. He's like, that's just between me and Sherry, which I thought like John McLean, like it's very seldom. I would like to see John McLean cover Brian Kelly, I guess is what I'm saying, is that uh, like Jerry Glanville is a pretty giant moron to be outwitted by a member of the of, of the working press. You know who I'm I'm waiting to like take some super random head coaching job like that is Rick Neuheisel. Now he's yeah. got, he's got it made because he's living the life, man. He's great on TV and and probably making a lot of money doing it. And I I don't know why anyone would you know would want to give up that lifestyle. And he probably doesn't. But that's just like one where if you if I see someday like scroll across the bottom that you know Rick Neuheisel took some like FCS job or like super low level like G five job, I'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah, I should I'd, I'd buy, I should I'd buy that. I should check in on new or uh, Mora, right? Mora's up here at a Yukon. Yeah. Yeah. Which, go, see, go see a game. He'd be happy to see you. Probably. I don't know. I, you can never tell with Jim. Like I could see Jim being okay with talking to me. And I could also see Jim saying, I will never speak to you again. Um, I, I it could, it could go either way with him. He did an interview with um, Chris Vanini from the athletic uh, after he took the Yukon job. Yeah, he asked him because you have to ask him right about the the story um, that he told a recruit that he knew who killed Tupac. Tupac, yeah, and he he was not having it. <laughs> oh, really? Did I don't. Th- I mean, I don't think he got like mad, but his response in the transcript was just like, "I have no idea what you're talking about. I certainly have never told anybody that I know that. Like, I you know, like it was not." It it didn't seem like it was answered with good humor. I don't think he was necessarily like upset by it, but it was a very like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna play along with this type of thing. So I just searched because I look and see how they started. This is the headline that I came up with: Yukon's Jamora says he lives in quote haunted house and quote with quote good ghosts and quote. <laughs> so it's going well. I'm convinced it's haunted, Morris said with a chuckle. I just warn everyone who stays that it's haunted, but they're good ghosts. <laughs> are the go- are the ghosts dirt bags? I don't know. <laughs> Probably, right? Because like he that's what he wants. So that's to him that would be a good go- like if they, he's like, Yeah, these come live with some dirt bag ghosts, man. It's great. I will say the one thing out here in the Northeast is that there are larger graveyards, which makes sense, right? Like people have been living out here for like four hundred, five hundred years. And so you do see more more graveyards with like bigger headstones and tombs and stuff. We went to go have dinner with a couple friends of ours that live over in New Jersey, and we get to their house, and it's a pretty cool house. And they're like, actually, this is like a schoolhouse in New Jersey. It was the first schoolhouse in New Jersey that had female students, had girls coming. And then we look across, and they're like, oh yeah, there's a there's a cemetery plot next to it. It's for the founding family of 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 the city, and you still see people who are descendants of the founders kind of come by sometimes and it's like what oh like, that's terrifying <laughs> like there's no way i'm sleeping here this is this is horrifying he's like oh yeah there's sometimes that we see it. i was like yeah that scares the hell out of me no thank you like living you meant living descendants or yeah yeah like the people come back to pay homage to their ancestors who founded the town in new jersey oh well at i, I le- want no i want no part of that christian at least they're not ghosts yeah <laughs> What, what if they were good ghosts? Well, that's okay. That's fine. 
Uh, before we get going here, I do I want to pass along the good news, long-awaited good news that Say Who Say Pod is now available pretty much wherever you can get podcasts. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and something called Deezer, Danny, which I hadn't heard of before, but I have now, and our podcast is available on it. So Deezer? Deezer. Deezer? I don't know. It's through uh, RSS. They... They said, hey, yeah, submitted here. Okay. All right. So all you Deezer users out there, uh, rejoice. We're available pretty much wherever you can listen to podcasts. Just search Say Who Say Pod. Subscribe, rate, tell your friends. Uh, it'll help with our search results. Um, enjoy the Portland State game, Danny. I will, and I will talk to you next week. All right. We'll see everybody.